listening to Fox Sports Radio. 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 We're going to forget about a lot of this stuff, but where Drew Brees ranks and why he maybe doesn't rank higher, I think tells us a lot about, well, humanity, no, about the league, and we're going to start there. Yeah, and that was the big news in the NFL on Sunday. Saints quarterback Drew Brees announcing his retirement after 20 seasons in the NFL. Okay, so the first thing that is shocking, and this is a stat I was big on entering the football season last year, which was it was in the prior two years, if you look at QBR, which is a great single stat when it comes to quarterback play, it's probably the best single stat, is only two players – in both 19 and 20, so prior to this most recent season, only two players were in the top 10 both years. One, Patrick Mahomes. The other, Drew Brees. And Drew Brees' worst ranking was three, and Mahomes' worst ranking was two. So literally, they were there, and no one else. Russell Wilson, blah, blah, blah. You can keep naming Deshaun Watson. They all had a season out of the, of the two, out of the top 10. It was that hard to just put two really elite, or top third of the league seasons. This season, his retirement season, Drew Brees ranked in QBR number six. So, this is when he retires, is number six. Now, is that because he's so great, he's retiring with uh, gas left in the tank? I don't know. I think this could be about Sean Payton also. But if ultimately, performance is what matters... The wannabe scouts that are talking about arm strength and all that, they have no idea what they're talking about. Now, the guys that do said, hey, his arm strength suffered. Maybe that's why he's sixth. But how shocking is it that a guy's retiring when he's number six? We're actually doing some research. McKenzie in research, pregame.com. Did we get a list of the uh, position of QBR when people have retired recently, or should we hold that? Yeah, we got the big names. Go ahead. Phillip Rivers retired this year. He was 19th. Continue. Big Ben could have retired this year. He was 22nd. Should have. Oh, go ahead. (laughs) And then there was the Peyton Manning. He actually didn't qualify, but he would have been in the 20s range. And then we have Drew Brees this year. He was sixth. So what we're saying is literally no one we can remember, and there might be an exception, retired when they were even in the top half of the league. And Drew Brees was number six, and he was number two and number three. And the three last years, two, three, and six, and only Mahomes was in the top ten, even the first two of those years. So Jonas, we're straight out of Vegas. As you think about that, what does it tell you? Why do you think Breeze retired? And what does it tell you that the guy still put up great stats? I think he retired because physically it felt like it was becoming more and more of a challenge for him to get out there. Uh, There was reports that before last season, the Saints had to really talk him into it, that they had to talk him into it. And so he signed after finishing like number two or three. Yeah. And and they signed the he signed the two year deal, but he had the gig already lined up with NBC. And it just felt like this was going to be his last year. Sean Payton uh, accidentally spilled the beans in an interview and then afterwards said, no, no, I don't know what I'm talking about. He's got two (laughs) years left. But it was it was obvious to a lot of people 
But I think what Drew Brees did this year is just in, indicative of what he did after his shoulder surgery. He figured out how to just play even with limitations. And he did it yeah. with how tall he was. He did it with the, you know, the devastating uh, stuff he did to his shoulder, his final game with the Chargers. He mastered the ability to know what his body could do and what his body couldn't do. And he played to its strengths his entire career. And I think that's what made him great. Now that is a strong take because it just shows you that even with the uh, even more obvious limitation of the weakened arm, or as we call it, the noodle arm, he still was able to QBR number six. Now, what a lot of people think is, and I agree with this, the PFF grade, pro football focus, is about looking at each play and assessing not the outcome, but the physical performance. Did, did he do it right? Right. So, like in baseball, if there were not that there is for PFF, but if it was a hard hit shot down the line, third baseman makes a great play. It's like he hit the ball hard, right? So he gets credit for it in theory. Though again, they don't do baseball, but that's a good analogy. The difference between performance and PFF is often the coaching, is often some luck, and also the supporting cast. So Drew Brees last season, the most recent one, QBR number six. PFF grade ranked number 25. So it shows you the physical skills were dropping off, but some combination of his savvy. And I think Peyton Manning, it was the same thing when he was in that Super Bowl run. Yeah, he wasn't throwing the ball like he used to, but he had savvy, moxie, some would say. And same thing with Breeze, because he's number 25 when it came to physical performance graded by PFF. Again, another testament, I think, as Jonas said, to his savvy. Straight out of Vegas! Be sure to catch live editions of Straight Out of Vegas weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. Hey, this is Jason McIntyre. Join me every weekday morning on my podcast, Straight Fire with Jason McIntyre. This isn't your typical sports pod pushing the same tired narratives down your throat every day. Straight Fire gives you honest opinions on all the biggest sports headlines, accurate stats to help you win big at the sports book, and all the best guests. Do yourself a favor and listen to Straight Fire with Jason McIntyre on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So. All right, well, we've given the due respect to Drew Brees. Now let's dig in and let's get a reset from Jonas on the latest Deshaun Watson news, and we'll get the inside from a Houston guy. Yeah, so the uh, Deshaun Watson news is he has not been traded yet. Uh, reports are that he still wants out of Houston. David Coley, as head coach, has said uh, that they are committed to Deshaun Watson, but we are still waiting to see whether or not Deshaun Watson is going to be the quarterback for the Houston Texans in 2021. And we had an uncomfortable press conference where he looked like it was uh, a hostage video, I would say, maybe. And then I hear later that he did a podcast earlier in which he says, so listen, we don't need the, the PC. We want the skinny. What's going on? I, I think the Texans don't want to trade Deshaun Watson, and they realize that they've got a lot more pull in this situation, a lot more leverage than Deshaun does. Uh, Deshaun signed his deal. He hasn't played it down on that new deal. What's changed? This is a question we keep asking ourselves. From the time he cashed that first check, what has changed that could be a fundamental 
uh, reason to say, I want to break a contract. As unbelievable as it sounds, Bill O'Brien left. And, and most people would think, oh, that's a positive. But th- they, but they think, didn't. Do you think it's a negative? I, I think the fact that they didn't look like they did anything to improve the situation there, and they left the guy in charge, the, the Jack Easterby, they left him in charge, the, the guy that seemed to be the right-hand man of Bill O'Brien, I, I think that bothered Deshaun because they're not going in a new direction. It looks now like it's just more of the same. So, you and I and, and a, or uh, Fred have had done radio for like eight years straight. This year, I wasn't able to. I'm going to get back. but And I loved our hit. But I haven't heard your take on this. To me, from an outside, the Easterby situation, it feels like the knives are out in a way that doesn't make any sense to me. And that it feels almost like a, a religious backlash in a way. Because usually, everyone gets the benefit of the doubt in the league. This guy came from Andy Reid, the two best coaches by most accounts, right now, Andy Reid and Belichick. He was with Kansas City first, Easterby, then went to the Patriots. You got a guy like friend of the show, Mike Lombardi, who is not afraid to be negative about people, saying that he was a good man, as far as I could see. Now, I get the whole idea, should he be in the position he's in, but boy, it feels like the negativity about Easterby is much bigger than that. What do you see on the ground? With Andy Reid and Bill Belichick, he was not involved in football decisions, and that's the and biggest issue. What football issue. decisions has he made that's been bad? Like, do do we know he's making football decisions? He made the decision on the GM to hire the, the Texans. Is, is that a football or is that an executive decision? Isn't uh, the owner usually going to make that decision? What's he know about football? Oh, uh, well, that's true. But he the, they they hired a search firm. After the search firm gives a list of five candidates, he says, well, you know, my buddy Nick Casario back there in New England, he'd be good for this job. Uh, And and he apparently also signed off on the Hopkins trade, which obviously ends up looking pretty bad for the Texans. He signed off on he, the Hopkins he, trade. What is that? Pushed, so he had the right to veto pushed, that trade. Did he, he have the right? To, did Easterby have a right to veto that trade? I believe he did. Well, maybe he's a genius political operator that knew the trade was going to happen anyway. It's possible. Because let's be honest, to rise like he's risen is a pretty amazing thing. This is like a movie that's like being there or something, but the gardener becomes a consultant to the president. It goes back to the religious thing. One thing that'll get you a lot of power is a religious connection. And I believe that Jack has more of a tie with the mom. I think any affinity you have with the boss is a good thing. Right. And this goes above Cal McNair to his mother, Janice McNair, who still technically owns the team, doesn't manage day-to-day things. She loves uh-huh. Jack Easterby, uh-huh. and she wants him now, to stay that, involved. Is that with the widely team. reported? Uh, I, I don't think it's widely reported, but it's it's widely We're known in Houston. News is what you're saying. I'm not breaking Nash, news. I mean, it, you're not just in your little Houston show. Maybe this outside our little circle, I would say it's widely known. <laughs> wow, what do you think of that, Jack? That's interesting, is because oftentimes, and again, this is an individual case, but religious. Ladies, they get older, and it, there becomes a real power. Even the Sopranos depicted there's a real powerful connection that goes beyond the typical relationships. Huh? What do you think, Josh? It's kind of similar to Seattle, where they've talked about uh, Pete Carroll and his his relationship there with ownership, and and how uh, after there was a passing, um, the owner passed away, that he still kept a close bond and a close relationship with the family there that was court, sort of overseeing things. And so you knew it had to be something because if Jack Easterby didn't provide anything football wise, he must have provided something at, at, from a relationship standpoint or a friendship standpoint to be able to still be in power after all these years. That's Jonas Knox. I'm RJ Bell. We're straight out of Vegas. Now, I've read 
the Sun's Wikipedia page. I mean, literally, that's about my... But it seems like he is a... And I'm going to say seems because I don't know. It seems like he's a typical second-generation billionaire where daddy helped him where he could, but he just never really... Like he's this, like Arthur. Now, okay, so, so I know it's easy to lampoon the billionaire son, but... Would you would you say if you kind of take away that 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 acidicness that that legitimately this is a guy that that hasn't achieved a ton even with all those advantages and maybe it makes sense he's kind of bumbling through this he he's achieved nothing without his dad around and <laughs> don't don't sugarcoat it I'm just being honest he he's done nothing without him and and since his dad's passing which also I think that Jack Easterby being there when when Bob McNair passed. Helping Janice uh, mm-hmm. through that, I think that kind of drew her in. But I also think that he was a guy who was always set to take this job when Bob McNair died, and he was never fully prepared to do it. And and now they've gone from being a a, a solid ownership to to really one of the worst run organizations in sports. Period. Yeah, I think that's true. This is AJ Hoffman from Houston giving us the insight. I'm RJ Bell, straight out of Vegas. Last thing on this for now. We'll talk a little bit about it throughout the week. And we got a ton of college basketball previewing to do. Remember, the tournament doesn't tip off the main part till Friday, an extra day this week. The father, there were some comments made that were deemed racially insensitive. Was the, you know, you've had a press pat, you know, you've been in Houston a long time. Was the whispers that that was a problem, that the players felt like that there was insensitivity from the top? Or was that a one time thing that was real, but. A one-time thing. It was more than a one-time thing because there's the, the we can't let the inmates run the uh, run the prison and comment. That's the that one he I'm made. thinking of. He also went up to the players the day that Barack Obama was elected in tears, saying that this is the worst thing that's ever happened what? to our country. <laughs> I'm telling you. I mean, I could see a guy that felt that I, saying it at the country club. No, he said it to his players. <laughs> and what and, was his rationale? I, I mean. You know what his rationale was. But he was thinking the players would agree with him? Well, I I guess, in some way, I guess he did. He thought, well, these are millionaires too. They'll agree with me. Uh, But uh, I used to do a show with Dwayne Brown, who's now the left tackle for the Seahawks, and left on at odds with ownership over these these types of things and he he when he told me that story it was unbelievable that that, that that's the he, he just so disconnect does it, so doesn't this make the case that his passing away in new control should be a net positive it should have been but not but not right out of Vegas! Be sure to catch live editions of Straight Out of Vegas weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. The brackets are out. Your number one seeds are Gonzaga, Baylor, Illinois, and Michigan. And those are the four favorites, but Gonzaga is a big favorite. Two to one. And then Baylor, Illinois, Michigan in that order are between six to one and eight to one. So this is a. There's like the billionaire at the top, or the multi-billionaire. Then there's three billionaires, and then some other tiers, obviously. But the Zags are clearly the best. We're going to get A.J. Hoffman, college basketball expert, pick on the eventual champion. First, though, give me three teams, and this guy doesn't mess around, that you think are under- or let's go overrated. Overrated, which means you, they're going to be laying more points typically. Their odds are not going to be juicy at all. These are teams to avoid because they're overrated. You've got three of them. 
Yeah, tech, Texas Tech jumps off the page at me. Uh, this is a team that, you know, from a, an ATS standpoint, they were ten and seventeen against the spread this year. All right, so which is a sign of they fell short of expectations, right? It constantly fell short of expectations. Yet they're still at twenty-five to one. I think they're fourteenth uh, in the odds at twenty-five to one. So I, I think Texas Tech wildly overrated based on what we saw two years ago when they made a run to the finals. Okay, so we'll go through the three teams. Then I'm going to have you pick one of the these teams to fade in the first round. The second team is I'm not going to take it personally, but my team, the Ohio State Buckeyes. Yeah, Ohio State dealing with whoa, some whoa, whoa. the. The the Ohio State Buckeyes uh, dealing with some injuries late in the season, and they made a nice run through the uh, the Big Ten tournament. Obviously, they're good. I just don't know that Ohio State is sixteen to one good, and I don't know that they should be such a huge favorite uh, in the first round. Now, listen, I'm not. I do not try to be a college basketball expert. But wouldn't you agree, Ohio State, and I'm going by recollection here, they played better in the second half, right, of the season? Yes, sir. In general, would you say this season, with more disruption early and all that, that waiting these later games, and maybe in each individual case, maybe not, but generally makes more sense in a typical season? Well, I, I say, oh, when you say Ohio State played better, they they had a good run in the tournament. Ohio State lost their last four regular season games, okay. so they kind of stumbled. That. They I stumbled just... into the tournament, and then they had a nice tournament run. Well, listen, Buckeyes typically step up when you know when it matters. When the pressure's most. on. When, do you think it matters most against Oral Roberts? Uh, we'll see. Do you know where hey. Oral Roberts is? Um, not anywhere near Columbus, Ohio. <laughs> I know that much. All right, last one. Iowa, another Big Ten. You think overrated? Yeah, and and Iowa's good, but. If, to be the fifth favorite overall is just absurd to me. A team that doesn't play much defense, I don't like so, it. So you're Sixteen among, to one. Um, you're saying amongst the number two seeds, or all four number ones or the top four, this is the fifth favorite. This is the fifth favorite. Iowa sixteen to one. And you T- tied with Oklahoma State and Alabama. Okay, amongst these three, if you had to fade one in the first round against the spread, who's it going to be? It's going to be Ohio State. Ooh, explain why quickly in that matchup. Oral Roberts is an offensive juggernaut for their, you know, for their class, uh, which Ohio State's happy to play that style. They're happy to get into a back and forth game. It's just hard to cover that many points with a team that is going to score. They're going to score, especially remember in the first round of the tournament. If you're a big favorite, you don't often keep your starters in if you're up 12 with two minutes left because you're playing within 48 hours again. Absolutely. Okay, uh, we got two minutes, so I'm going to read your three underrated and give me a sentence on each. Purdue at 40 to 1 underrated. Dominant big man in Travion Williams, matchup nightmare for a lot of guys. A team that's, they've got zero seniors, which worries me, but they've got a lot of talent that's come together late in the season. Oregon at fifty to one, also underrated. Oregon is tough because they they their bracket did them no favor. The uh, the committee did them no favors, but that's a really good team, a really talented team. That's gonna they're gonna make some noise, I think. Okay, and when you say no favors, is they were underseeded, underseeded. or maybe there's a particularly bad matchup. Texas. Uh, from you know your home state here, also underrated. Yeah, I do think Texas is a little bit underrated. Uh, Twenty to one was their number. Uh, th- there's a lot of people who think they're a Final Four team. I don't know if they're quite that, but I think they're close. All right, so you're listen, AJ Hoffman. We're straight out of Vegas. You're savvy. You're you're the kind that's going to give us something no one would expect. So I'm excited. Who do you have to win the title? I'm going to give you probably the same guy like Dickie V and all these guys are given. <laughs> it's Gonzaga. I, I just think I, I hate to do it. I, I hate to, to go chalk, but I just think they're. Oh, they're, apparently you're comfortable with it. They're a class ahead of everyone else. And we see Baylor. They haven't looked the same since COVID. Michigan's coming into this tournament with an injury to a really key guy in Isaiah Livers. So that second class 
the, the gap is widening between Gonzaga and the field, it's just really hard to pick against them. Now, don't you agree that variance is going to be higher, that there will be more upsets and stuff? So, is this, do you think the rest of the tournament, because Dave Esler, who, by the way, he agrees with you on that first round, he likes the idea of Utah State over Texas Tech, and you like Oral Roberts over Ohio State, so you guys are in total agreement. But his point was, and we're going to have to pick this up tomorrow, that the high variance of the COVID and all that would really affect the chalk. Uh, you think so with the others, but not Gonzaga. You only got 10 seconds. I think there's 67 teams that are going to deal with a lot of variants. But Gonzaga's so good, it doesn't They're matter. above it. Right out of Vegas! Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live.